0: And how do you kind of learn best? You know, most people, you learn really well by doing it. The thing is, you are pushing against so many systems.
1: Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast where it is all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. Your host is Peter Margaritas, the man whose name is pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. Peter is the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of his business, The Accidental Accountant. Peter's goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to Episode 74, and today my guest is Jennifer Briggs, who is currently the Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of the Indiana CPA Society, and she'll be the new CEO beginning on January 1st of 2018. Congratulations, Jennifer. Before joining the society, Jennifer spent a decade working in national and statewide associations and at an association management and lobbying firm. Jennifer earned her undergraduate degree from Marion College and an MBA from Butler University. She is a certified association executive and a member of the American Society of Association Executives and the Indiana Society of Association Executives. In 2009, she was IASE's Association Professional of the Year. Jennifer has served on the ASAE CAE Exam Committee and the AICPA's Future Learning Task Force. Jennifer, thank you for taking time out of, I can only imagine, your busy schedule to be a guest
0: on my podcast. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I, I read the, a lot of the
1: accounting periodicals and stuff, and, and I was reading one back in July of this year, and, and my molars fell out just, <laughs> just, just from just just from the the, the headline, and, and it was back in uh, July twenty seventh, and it said Indiana passes law for competency based CPA license renewal, and and, and the Scooby Doo part of me came out with oh, is, is this. <laughs> What a, huh, go back and read that again. And, and, I, and I I read the headline three times and I just like to say, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, I would love to say you're welcome. We are at the beginning of a process, but I think it's a good, a good uh, start. A good start. And I can tell you more about that.
1: I, I would, yeah, I've had a lot of questions since I've read that and I've, I've had a lot of Individuals come up to me and ask me what this is about, and I go, "I, I got to talk to Indiana. I, I got to talk to Jennifer, uh, because I still have a hard time sometimes getting my mind around it." But I, what what started this ball moving? I would assume more than a year ago. I'm thinking maybe five years ago or longer. What 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 was, what was the thing that started this?
0: Oh, I would say maybe even seven years ago or longer. Um, this came. This was not our original intention, uh, but back in 2009-10, we had a couple of task forces working on future issues, um, looking at the AICPA Horizons Report in 2010, and from that, kind of trying to figure out what's the future for the profession, and we developed a a board-level task force on knowledge management. And so with that, we retained a consultant uh, in the UK who has experience with uh, knowledge management and education and a lot of other things, and uh, he kind of helped us find a vision where we our goal with knowledge management was to say, listen, we have all of these members. What can we do to help them connect to each other so that the knowledge that one member has can be shared with all of the other members and in that process we started looking in a few areas Uh, specialization was a topic we wrote a white paper on and then I worked with a task force on the future of competency and that was looking at how how are things changing in education and by education I mean K through 12 higher ed professional education and that kind of thing so it snowballed from there.
1: I I can only imagine, I I was on council at the time uh, that the 2025 project came out and was just off council when the Future of Learning Task Force, and I remember a little bit of the conversation at the time was gamification and and a few other areas, but I don't remember hearing anything about a a competency-based learning model versus, I guess, uh, the hours-based learning model.
0: Right. Well, we, I I was on that task force with the AICPA, the future of learning and the takeaways were broad in that they were, you know, ignite a passion for learning, uh, measure what matters, make learning personal and innovate and experiment. Those were our big takeaways. And I'm proud that I remember them several (laughs) years later, but, (laughs) but, um, you know, it was such a wonderful experience. We met with, through the Future of Learning Task Force, the AICPA put together, we, we met with people at MIT and Harvard and Deloitte University and went out to Silicon Valley and just had an opportunity to, um, kind of learn what's going on in education. And I think, if I may say so, in Indiana, you know, we took that along with the work we'd already been doing in knowledge management and the way we were looking at education and said, you know what? If we're talking about measuring what matters, then ours may not be it. And if we're talking about making learning personal... Just filling out a form that says, you know, I checked these boxes may not be it. And so the key takeaway, I think, with what we're doing and what we keep trying to say is that we are doing the innovate and experiment part. You know, we are the competency-based education legislation that we were able to pass this year uh, is an option. It's not saying, full stop, let's change everything. It's saying, you know, we know people learn in a lot of different ways on the job, through experiences, through mentorship, and formal training. How can we help people make a personal learning plan that lets them get, quote-unquote, credit for all types of learning?
1: Well, okay, so it's an option, but, but you, you just, to make it personal, and you said, on the job, so let me, let me pose a scenario to you that you're the CFO, I report to you, and I'm a CPA, and you go, Pete, we've got this issue. I need you to research it and come back to me with your, with your findings and a recommendation. And, and I spend eight hours doing that. I, I come back to you, and I go, here's my here's my findings, and you review Oh, this is very good, but I, I need you to look at this one area just a little bit more. And this is all related to, to our profession, to accounting. And, and I come back, and now I've got 10 hours invested into this document. And you're supervising my work. And we do implement this thing, and it does work. So under this model, does that 10 hours of my time researching, putting together, go into part of my learning uh, bucket, my personal learning bucket, those hours?
0: Yeah, It, it, it could. It could. And I'll tell you, here's where we are and why I say we're at the beginning. So the legislation was passed and what we are now working on with a subcommittee of our board of accountancy is rules around that. So, the the general the, the bill that was passed is relatively um vague, if you will. <laughs> broad, broad in scope, was it? <laughs> broad, thank you. That's <laughs> a much better word. Broad in scope. Um and and we did that, you know, because we knew there was a lot more work that had to go into it. But the in order to start the process of figuring out what the rules would be around it, you know, we had to get this done first. And so in those meetings with the subcommittee, uh, we have, you know, the board of accountancy members and and some of our members and our staff, and we've met a few times and we have several more meetings scheduled to talk about, uh, you know, how would this work and and nothing is is finalized, but I can tell you things we're talking about are learning plans very similar to what you might. You know, do as an employee at a a larger company or a big firm, and so this project you just used as an example. um, If that's something you knew was going to happen and you could include on a learning plan, that could very well absolutely count toward your renewal, based on what we're trying to do.
1: So, so this is an option. So I'll I'll take that scenario off. I would assume there's been a lot of conversation as it relates to. The classroom. Mm-hmm. What, what type of what what type of discussions have been, have been going on? Because as a one who facilitates uh, continuing education programming, well, I was in Indiana earlier this year, and, and, and there was a big part of that class, and there was maybe about forty people in there that were engaged, that were you know you, you could tell. But then there was that group. There's always that group. There's, mm-hmm. there's always that group that's there collecting dust and eight hours, right? And, and so, how, how, yeah. So, how's that going to? How will that change that classroom experience?
0: You know what we're looking at right now, it it doesn't really change that, and that's kind of our point. In in a lot of ways, I I keep kind of as a broken record saying, you know, I want this. We we want to look at competency based learning as an option, but we can't hold it to an unreasonable standard that we don't currently have for in person instruction. So, what we're talking about maybe doesn't fix the the problem that you're talking about, which is uh you know the person in the back of the room doing work and not paying attention uh, that doesn't really this doesn't address that specifically, but what it does acknowledge is that that happens, and we know that. and the people who want to learn, the people who are doing their job properly and getting the education they need to be good CPAs, they're going to keep doing it and And so, trying to set up a whole system that kind of is, is geared toward the bad apples, if you will, doesn't really make sense to us. When we know there are people learning every single day serving on an ethics committee, let's say, or doing research in their own company. you know, so why why do we want to set up a system that doesn't measure what matters, that just measures time? And not address the, the help the people who really do want to learn, learn in ways that make sense for them without also asking them, now go sit in this classroom or get online and do these specific webinars just to earn the credit. Does that make sense?
1: It, it does make sense. And, and as you were describing that, I had this huge smile on my face because you're designing it for those who want to learn And we'll take advantage of it. And we're not focusing on the smaller population who are there just to collect hours. Right. And that's kind of been my argument for a long time as it relates to education, is we spend too much time worrying about the few in the room versus spending more time worrying about the mass in the room.
0: Right. We're the people who, and even in, and this isn't as much a part of what we're doing, but as a passion of mine, I mean, even in the in-person training and courses, we have, you know, some really excellent uh, facilitators like yourself. And uh, we, we like to think, you know, we get all of the great ones, but I know we haven't worked as hard, I would say in the profession to change the way we teach to change, and I, I'm not blaming the profession, I'm not blaming CPAs. I know when we went with the Future of Learning Task Force uh, was at MIT, they talked about, we had a professor talk about a big experiment they did with changing the classroom to a, a different setup where people did pre-work, students did the pre-work, and then came in and worked in groups, and the professor wasn't lecturing, and they found the results were, were much better better, uh, retainment of, of the information six months later, blah, blah, blah. It was this great outcome and they never did it again because it's hard (laughs) because it's hard and it's different and it would make professors change in ways. Some of them didn't want to change and, you know it was just a great feel at least for me as 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 someone working on a big change i at least felt like well if there's they're struggling with it here at mit i think it's okay that we're having a hard time with
1: this <laughs> yeah that, that that flip classroom approach it's great it sounds really great on paper uh and, and you might be able to get students to do it i have a hard time believing professional cpas who who have a busy workday anyhow, to come in doing, have done pre-work and, and flip the classroom. I think that would be even even a, a bigger challenge. And I know that it's been talked about, and I don't think anybody's really ha- has done that. And, you know, as it relates to the classroom experience, we just need to create a more engagement with the audience members versus lecturing them the whole time, no matter what the topic is. And I think that's a a subtle classroom change that needs to occur.
0: Right. But do you, do you think that maybe the flipped classroom isn't, doesn't seem feasible because people are so focused on the number of hours they're trying to get? I don't know that, but sometimes I think, you know, if we, if we were to allow uh, people to learn in a more flexible way and not be as concerned about checking that box, would they be more willing to have more challenging educational experiences?
1: I don't know the answer, I'm gonna, I'm going to say I used to uh, be a faculty member at Franklin University here in Columbus, Ohio, many years ago, and they were to- they were doing the flip classroom approach. Maybe it's University of Phoenix maybe first, uh, first came up with this, and we did this at Ohio Dominican where we would show up the week before. The class starts and give them everything they would need for the following six, eight ten weeks, but would give them an assignment that they were supposed to have read to come into the class to have the discussion on it and even then it was hard to get more than a more than a fourth to do it because I think the only way to get the, the, the flipped classroom approach is we got to start early like in elementary middle school but by the time they get to high out of high school and in the college we've taught them this approach and things that become different, I don't think that they're wrong. I just think it's hard to adopt.
0: That's, that, that's probably true. And I think that's why you'll find, you know, so much experimentation going on in, in K through 12 education as well. Right, right. Uh, I think they don't. I don't think there's a good answer, and I think we're trying some things and see how soon you have to start to get people to think about it a different way.
1: So, uh, what has the membership had to say about this new approach that that has been put through?
0: I think they are excited. We've had really great feedback. Over the years, as we've done it, I should mention at this point, when we started doing this, uh, we eventually developed uh, courses, competency-based online courses. And we have those through a, a subsidiary of ours called the CPA Center of Excellence. And those courses, you know, were created with members' input um, with a lot of member feedback. And they cover topics that our members you know worked on, which helping us define which were the core competencies of the profession. And so they're not technical in nature. They are on topics like communication, skills, decision making, critical thinking, um, and that kind of thing. We recently launched an ethics course as well, and that one has been very popular. But to answer your question, I guess, I, I would say, it's hard. Even for people who are very supportive, I think our members are very supportive. They think it's a great idea, but it's a big change. And so I I think my kind of challenge over the years has been acknowledging that a lot of times members will th- you know throw an idea out there or get a group together to give us feedback, and they'll just say, this is great, it's wonderful and this will be great for fill in the blank and they have another target audience they think will do it does that make sense and so they're like this is great for someone else <laughs> right and so but when it comes down to let me change what I do and how I do it it can be a little bit hard so i will admit that as we try to move forward with with our courses in particular um, until we got to a more technical topic like ethics, we've had a challenge. And and I could go into more about what those courses are like and how they're different than, than other online courses because they are competency-based. But um, I think that's been our biggest challenge. I know they want to do it. And why we went ahead and moved forward with this legislation is because it's not about selling our courses. You know, it's about sharing what competency-based learning means. And so I think as we move forward with rules around this legislation and members have an opportunity to create their own learning plan, they'll get on board even more. I think they all, I think most of our members like the idea. They just are having trouble figuring out how to put it into practice. And, and so are we. That's, that's what we're still working on. And I think once we get that figured out, it will still not be for everyone. You know, there's still going to be people who say, listen, I just want to take my classes and be done. Right. And so, that's fine.
1: Well, we, we do have a, a variety uh, of, of generations or ages within the profession and, and some still like the eight hour seminars and some prefer not to take them and take online courses. So we, you know, we're not going to. Please everybody, in essence, but it is providing them an option. And 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 as I just began reading more and more about this, I and when you just, remind me when you just said the ethics course, that was one of the first courses that you guys had approved for this competency based learning approach back in two thousand sixteen.
0: We did mm-hmm. well. It was our first courses were approved for a pilot program uh, through the Board of Accountancy, which actually they just extended through the next we're on a three year reporting cycle. So that pilot program has been extended through twenty twenty. And so if you take these online courses that are competency based that we have, it then eliminates the specific number of hours that you're required to take. So it's a waiver system.
1: Okay. So can you describe what like an ethics course, online competency based ethics course would involve?
0: Sure. So, much like maybe some other kinds of online courses, it's at your pace, you know, when you want to do it, you can take as long as you want to do it, but the difference is there are the way it's set up and and the vendor that we use who, who we work with to develop the courses You know, there are gates you have to pass through, if you will, certain elements of the course that you cannot move on until it's clear that you have, as an example, read an entire document that's part of the course. And there's maybe a time limit on it. You know, so you can't move past it if you have only. If you just try to click through it, you you can't do that. The same with videos. But the part that's the most different is that it's not uh, checking in with you now and then or little quick quizzes. What it is is there are opportunities throughout the course where you are asked to uh, give your opinion about a situation or give an example and and tie that out and that's available to be seen by other people who are taking the course so it's out there and then we on the back end um, have a, a system where we go through and make sure everyone has done that and has has you know put some thought into it and isn't just a quick you know yes or no kind of answer. And that's the part that I think is really different. You, we've had members, one of our a former board chairman actually took that ethics course, and he said, you know, you really have to think, and that's what's different about it. You can't finish the course without thinking pretty hard about what it's asking you to do. And he liked it so much, you know, he had uh, everyone in their firm take it. So it, it just it's harder in some ways. I'll be honest, because it, it asks a lot of the learner, but again, you're doing it at your pace and the way you want to. And often in these courses, in ethics and in the other courses, there are a lot of links. There are a lot of, it takes you to a lot of places. And I know that I've had some people, I mean, you can take longer if you get really interested in a topic that's a part of the course. And you kind of get going, and you can just learn and learn and learn, which I think is not a bad thing.
1: Wow. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> my my mind's going to win the Jetsons right now, but but no, I, I've seen I've seen things similar like this where it's it's not ding put in the code, ding put in the right. code, or, or 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 at the end of everything. Uh, like a self study along those lines. Then you take a, a a quiz, and if you get a certain amount, boom. But it, it's this the other aspect of reading an article, making you think, and there's somebody on the back end monitoring it to make sure that there's some thought put into it. And when you say it's at your pace, so the ethics course, how many, how how long is that course, hours wise? Sure, the
0: course is. Uh, designed to, and and there's been a a, a pilot program approved, so you are able to, it meets the Indiana uh, CPE requirement for ethics, okay? So having said that, how many hours is it? Well, that kind of depends on you. So it's designed to be, take an average person approximately four hours, but We have had members say it took them three hours, and members say it took them six hours. And again, that goes back to there are areas within the course that you can dive deeper into or not.
1: So when they're going for licensure and having to report, what are they they reporting for that course? That they completed it successfully?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: but there's but are there hours associated with it?
0: No, so, and it sounds like we're splitting hairs, but when we set up these pilot programs, we specifically did not want hours associated with it to. To kind of start the process of thinking about learning as a, hey, I want to learn about ethics, not I want four hours of ethics. So, for example, it's a, as I said, it's a waiver system. So, if you take our courses, uh, you can earn up to, uh, you can earn a waiver of up to 16 hours of your professional development. So, you would, in fact, um, when you check the box that says you earned your continuing education, and then if you were to be in the CPE audit, you would simply show that you received a certificate for that course, which waived eight hours. So we kind of, we, we know that's kind of tricky. So essentially what we did was say, yes, each course is approximately eight hours. But we just, because we know people take anywhere from six to 11 hours to do it, that's, you know, why we did the waiver. But that, you know, because this is an experiment and something to try, um, of course, the board, you know, we have to put a number on it, right? Because they still have requirements.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my question. So I assume in the state of Indiana, it's uh, 40 hours a year and you report every two or three years. Every three years. Every three years. hour
0: minimum requirement. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So you've got a waiver out there for each year of 16 hours?
0: You can do uh, with our courses, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Okay. And, and and the other the other hours have to be in the hours model where you're, you're collecting your eight, you're collecting your four, you're going to a conference i can i i see how you know so you're answering a lot of questions uh for me and, and i you know i I sit there and as i'm as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about it you're taking great baby steps yeah uh and the the what you guys are going to learn what you've learned already just from the ethics since it's since it's correct me if i'm wrong been there for at least a year and now you've moved into other aspects and those other aspects. Right now, it sounds to me to be the the communication skills, the leadership skills, and and, and those pieces. You're, you're taking great baby steps, and, and and limiting also the number of hours to help you guys understand a little bit more. And as you say, you guys are still going through a lot of discussion. So we're in 2017. Uh, oh, something happens on January 1st of next year for you. Congratula- yeah. Congratulations! Congratulations! <laughs> by the way. Thank you. So I think by 19, I would be really interested to see how much this model has progressed.
0: I think it'll be really exciting. I want to say... We started with, to, to your point about the baby steps, we started with the classes, the courses on leadership, communication, decision-making, and then moved to to ethics. And what we learned so far with these classes is that, the courses online, is that even though they are, do them at your own pace, um, do as much as you want at a time, people really like to finish something. So having that kind of hanging out there is a challenge for some people. And so we have learned and we were able to get our board to approve as part of continuing the pilot to let us break up the courses into smaller pieces. So you can still do the exact same course and get the same waiver, but you can do it in, let's say, two-ish hour. I don't like to <laughs> put the hours on it, right. but uh, increment so that you can say you completed a part of it and then move on to the next and the next. And that's a lesson. That's a lesson we learned. And we'll see. We're going to try it and see if that really, that's the feedback we've received. So we'll see if that's real and if that's really um, what's been keeping some people from, from taking some of the, the more extensive courses like leadership and communication skills. So it's a great, I mean, I really want to stress that, and I'm glad you said that, that it is baby steps. And I feel like because we're so passionate about it and we talk about it all the time that perhaps there are people who think we are trying to, you know, just change everything overnight and and nothing could be further from the truth. We've been working on this for you know, six, seven years, and we still have a lot to learn. So our, our goal is to, to experiment and try to do what we think makes the most sense for CPAs.
1: And I would be remiss without giving a huge thank you to Gary Bollinger for spearheading this six, seven years ago and seeing it through to this point. This is a huge footprint for the profession and uh, I know he's retiring and um, what a way to go out is having something, this momentum, uh, or he's retiring because, Oh my God, this was hard. Uh, <laughs> I, I doubt, I doubt that. I doubt that. But uh what a, you know, hats off to Gary and, and, and to the whole Indiana society for getting this done. He, yeah.
0: He's a great driver of this. And I'm so glad you said that because his, you know, persistence and uh, passion about it and willingness to have people look at us like we're crazy <laughs> has been <laughs> what has kept us uh, moving forward. So absolutely.
1: I think here's the, the, the big challenge after you, when you start taking a little bit bigger steps is how does this equate to audit and tax? And I, I, the, I don't, how do you, I'm going to let you answer that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you'll notice we did not start there, did we? (laughs) For good reason. I think we, we feel like that is possible. We think there are people working. We know there are people working on more technical topics in the same kind of format, at least as far as the, the online courses go. And so actually one thing we're, we're getting ready to launch, if you will, or st- we're just starting to think about is creating uh, an advisory group for our CPA Center of Excellence, and, and that would be made up of people who are out there right now working in not just the accounting area, but in, in other areas of education on competency-based and talking to them about you know, how we can continue to move forward and how some other uh, professions might be moving in this area as well. So I'm excited about the future. I don't think it will be fast, but I know we have a a meeting coming up with a leadership group of ours, and the focus is on competency education. And we have speakers from, you know, coming from Purdue University, which has created a competency-based degree. Um, we have speakers coming from IAESB uh, Education Committee, who are going to just talk about what they're doing. And and the speaker, actually the the professor from Purdue, is actually currently working a lot. Um, half of his time is spent working on just competency-based education in general and talking with groups and helping people understand what it is. And I know he's done work with the um, medical profession now as they look at competency-based education. So there's a lot going on. It's just, it's just a, slow, a slow-moving process. Well,
1: at, so th- these speakers are coming to speak to the leadership team at, at the Indiana Society and, and have these, these discussions. Is that is that what I was hearing?
0: Yeah. So we we have that's a we have a leadership group. It's a, a representative group of members of about 140 people that get together twice a year. And there are a group of members who we bounce ideas off and who then we ask to go out and spread the word. So we're just trying to share with them at this upcoming meeting in October you know that we're not, we're not alone. We're not, <laughs> we're not alone. There are other people looking at this too, and, and provide an update on what's going on out there.
1: There's a, There was a professor at Villanova accounting professor at Villanova back in the late 90s. His name was Anthony Katanak. And he developed this, a different way of teaching intermediate accounting. He called it BAM, the BAM model, business activity model, where students wouldn't read chapters and go and solve problems and stuff. And then this lecture-based, that they would actually be presented a scenario and they'd have to go, create the financial statements, and then things would happen. It was kind of like this real-world competency-based model that the that Ohio University gravitated to and ran with it and still to this day have instituted this business activity model in their undergraduate accounting program. It's only one of the few in the country that that have done it. I looked at it and trying to bring it in the Franklin University, but it, it just didn't fit what they were doing. But as you're describing this, and I'm going, well, that's kind of what Anthony developed back in the, the mid-90s.
0: <laughs> right. But if you think about it, it it's, um, that sounds fantastic. And how do you kind of learn best? You know, most people, you learn really well by doing it. The thing is, you are pushing against so many systems right? So many systems. And unfortunately, kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation, when you create a system that's around kind of policing the bad actors versus individual you know, attention, individualized learning, you make it very hard for things to change. And so I don't think that uh, CPE in the accounting profession is is alone in being a challenge. I think the whole higher education system, you know, uh, academia—that's that's a system <laughs> that you don't just <laughs> you don't just change, right? You know, and so I think even with the best of intentions, unless there's a a, a real sea change, it takes a long time. So we're trying to create we're just adding to that sea change if you will
1: yeah it's like trying to move a battleship on a dime uh there you go and and, yeah i've spent i've spent um about eight years in higher education and it is yeah it's a and and that's why i was so enamored by ohio university doing something so quote-unquote radical at the time and they've maintained that through their curriculum now i haven't I knew a couple of professors down there the last time I talked to them that, that they, they keep developing, redeveloping, and actually, one of the last conversations, it pretty much has moved itself to encompass the whole, uh, outside of Principles 1 and 2, everything else outside of an accounting program is competency-based, but it's taken a long time to get there.
0: You know, it's funny, because now that you say that, we have actually, one thing we found with the CPA Center of Excellence that we didn't anticipate was a, a much greater interest by universities. So we have several universities in Indiana now, and we're hoping to expand that, who are using, let's say, our critical thinking skills course with their business students through through the course of a semester, and that's part of their class and part of their grade. And that's been really interesting because we didn't target that the 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 uh, universities, but um we've had accounting professors use it, uh, some of our courses, and uh, at one school, they're working with us, their whole all of their business students. So that, you know, there are places within within academia where they are trying to experiment as well, but it's you know, getting it to spread <laughs> 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 talent
1: so so, um, Has any other uh, state societies contacted you and said, "How did you guys do this? Can you can you can you tell us how you did this? Can you teach us how you did this?"
0: (laughs) Yes, a few have. Good, (laughs) but but I'll tell you one thing: we've been fortunate in that we have a a really good relationship with our Board of Accountancy, but also in that we've tried to... I think we've been successful because we did take it slowly, and we presented to them back in 2012 and thirteen our Future of Competency white paper and what we've heard going on and what you see in some bigger organizations. And that kind of laid the groundwork for when we came back and said, hey, here's an idea. We want to have a pilot program, and we want to do it this way. And they're more willing, you know, because we have this relationship and we've talked about it for a while to to build that up. And I think um, a few states have have talked to us and we are currently working with uh, Illinois, who is going to plan to promote some of our competency-based courses because Illinois has a slightly different system with what they call, I believe, non-verifiable hours. No. Oh. So it, it, that gets a little uh, tedious in the rules there, but because their rules allow for some hours that are not as structured and, and specifically from certain sponsors, et cetera, et cetera, we've been working with them to promote our courses that are through the center of excellence as well.
1: Wow. That's, that's cool. That's, um, that's outsta- that That's, I mean, this is fun stuff. And, and, I know. <laughs> and, and isn't it fun to be called crazy at first and at the end you're going, man, you this is, this is really cool what you've, what you've done.
0: <laughs> it is. Can you call me every day? And tell me that? That'd be really helpful.
1: <laughs> oh, anytime you, anytime you need a phone call, just, just, <laughs> I'll be Jennifer. This is great. This is a great thing to slice bread.
0: It is nice when you hear that because there are a lot of, of times we hear that we're crazy. And last year, we, in 2016, you know, we were a recipient of the Power of A award from ASAE for our CPA Center of Excellence and our efforts to move toward competency-based education. So we got to go to the fancy dinner and (laughs) um, (laughs) and get the award and that was fun. But more than that, it it made us, you know, it's always nice to know that um, even when you're experimenting um, that there are people who appreciate, you know, that little streak of crazy we have and want to see us keep going.
1: You know, the, the innovation is basically taking normal ideas and thinking crazy, and you meet somewhere in the middle. But during that time, you consider it a little crazy. But, 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 but you know what? You're not, you're not going to change anything if you don't get a little crazy and, and think completely outside of the building and go, what if we just did this? And I know this is going to sound crazy, but I'm going to throw it out there. And, Then we try to. Then we'll we'll bring it back, but unless you throw something, cast something out there wide. If you only cast it shallow, you're not going to have any ideas. You're not going to be able to to experiment. But when you do what you guys are doing with this huge cast out there, and then bringing it in and then developing it, I mean, crazy's good.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you when I, I say to my kids, and I think this is an old phrase, but I love it. You know, if you want things to be different. You have to do different things, and I think that's all we're saying. We can't keep doing the same thing and hope for innovation or change or anything to be different. And the profession, as you, I mean, as you know, it's it changes everywhere. So why not in in education as well?
1: And as you said, it's real, but it's scary. It is scary, and you know, it, anymore, the ability to take risks, uh, and and, and I, I can I can imagine, and will you, I'll use this term broadly. You in this process, you've run against some failures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those failures are, have turned out to be learning opportunities, and 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 thinking something differently to get it to this point and moving on. And when we look at failure as a learning opportunity versus a punishable opportunity, it, it really opens the door.
0: Well, it does. And I'll tell you one great benefit, and you you know, mentioned, Gary, before. I mean, the, the culture here of our organization um, about never resting on our laurels, you know, about always looking for a better way has helped our staff, has done a tremendous job. I mean, I'll be perfectly frank. There were times early on, this was very stressful and, and it still is to some degree, but everybody works together because we can see a bigger vision. And I will also say a testament to our culture of our members who are willing and supportive to listen to us talk about this nonstop to to test it for us to help develop the ethics course to just be with us every step of the way and kind of allow us to keep being creative and keep trying to innovate
1: and that's a great culture to have uh that's the only way you can innovate. And uh, hats off to Gary. Hats off to you. Uh, I'll I'll say again, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Indiana. Uh, I think that this is definitely a step in the right direction. And if I may be so bold, can I put on the calendar sometime around this time next year that we can have a follow-up conversation and, and check on the progress that has been made this past year? I would love that. Okay, yeah. good. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note of that uh, to do that because this is a, this actually this time that I, I've spent with you, I've I've, le- I've clarified what competency based learning is in the profession, how it's being applied, what we're tackling, and that we are taking baby steps. And, and I assume you have the support of NASBA and the AICPA and, and the rest of the powers to be in, in moving this really bolder up a hill but eventually when you move it up the hill, everything goes up, must come down, and hopefully that that peak is sooner than later.
0: Right, right. <laughs> I hope so, and I know there's still a lot of questions out there from others, and that's what we just try to stress as much as possible, that we want to to just be that testing agent, you know, to be the the experimenters and that we are supportive and respectful of, of all the current rules and that sort of thing, but just giving us a little leeway to try something new and different.
1: So I'll just, i just, I, I can't help but do this. Uh, so I, as in the back of my mind, as you're describing everything and, and the ability to fail, the ability to move things forward, the, 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 the respect, the trust, the support. Uh, you guys are a heck of an improviser group because, <laughs> yeah, as, we, as I said, that, those are the principles of improvisation and you guys have implemented it tenfold and shown the power that by being positive, by respect, support, trust, by listening by and adapting, you can take something, especially as it relates to innovation and creativity, walk in a room with nothing and then walk out with something powerful and just keep molding that sculpture till it becomes almost perfection
0: that's that's a great way to put it i think that trust in we know what we know and we know what we're good at and so we're willing to take a chance and maybe look a little silly or <laughs> trip a little bit in that improvisation if you will uh in order to make something even better
1: exactly it's um once the individuals begin to realize that they are improvising, and but it, it, I will, it goes to the culture. If if the culture, if you don't have that culture, this would have never happened. If Gary have and you guys haven't built that culture, this would have never happened. So it, it starts with there, and and it starts with you know not pointing fingers. It, it's it's about supporting and, and trusting and respecting everybody, as well as as you said, the rules to be in order to get something huge as this is <laughs> to this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I respectfully, time. I, I I know you know it's it's like four o'clock on a, it's a Wednesday, yeah, a Wednesday afternoon, is, yeah. and you and you still have like eight more hours of work to do. I don't want to take. I a while. know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I cannot thank you enough for taking time. This has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, and if I can provide any assistance at all, you know how to find me. I I think what you guys are doing is is outstanding work. And, and like I said. Thank you guys very much.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and appreciate getting to talk about what we're doing here in Indiana.
1: Cool. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. I would like to thank Jennifer again for taking time to explain how the Indiana Society of CPAs is bringing competency-based learning to continuing professional education. Very fascinating process, and I'm looking forward to following up with her next year on the progress and continual development of this program. Before I close, I'd like to talk about the first five episodes of this podcast that are qualified for continuing professional education self-study credit under the NASBA category of personal development. Those interviews are with Clark Price, retired CEO of the Ohio Society of CPAs, Mike Scorantino, author of Gratitude Marketing, Tom Hood, who's the current CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs, Ed Mendelwitz, who's a partner with the accounting firm of Witham, Smith & Brown, and Carl Ulrichs, who's an HR professional with the insurance firm of Gregory & DePell. These episodes are located on the MACPA BLI self-study website, and they are mobile-friendly. Create an account and purchase an episode. You can then listen to them on your daily commute or while working out, or even at your desk. When you are finished, you can take the review and final exam on your mobile device or even on your computer. It's that easy. While all selected Improv No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the MACPA BLI self-study website are eligible for CPE self-study credit. You can get detailed instructions by visiting my website at petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic Listen, Learn, and Earn Improv is No Joke podcast on the homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of receiving CPE credit. Please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. It really helps increase the visibility of the podcast on all of these sites. Now, November is National Diabetes Month, and I'll be donating 20% of all paperback and audiobook sales from my website to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. You can purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, using improvisation to create positive results in leadership in a life for $14.99, and the shipping is free, by going to petermargaritas.com and clicking on the available now icon in addition, you can download Improv is No Joke audiobook for 14 dollars so you can listen on the go. And remember, 20% of all proceeds are going back to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation in hopes that we can find a cure for this disease. I'm currently in the process of writing my next book with the working title of Financial Storytelling and I'm previewing content on my social media. So if you'd like to read some of this content, get a head start on what the book is going to look like, connect with me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant or on Twitter and Instagram by searching P. Margaritas. On LinkedIn, you can find me by searching my name, Peter Margaritas. And actually, there are two Peter Margaritases in the greater Columbus area, but there's only one who's a CPA. In episode 75, my guests are Jack Park and Maureen Zappala, who are the authors of the upcoming book, Buckeye Reflections. If you're an Ohio State football fan, this is a must-listen episode. So thank you again for listening, and remember to use the principles of improvisation to better connect with your clients, your co-workers, and your family.